man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Tuesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast almost said Monday. I had Chris Sims all morning long complaining that it was Monday. It's like, dude, it's Tuesday. And he said, I know it's Tuesday. It just feels like Monday. It does feel like Monday. That's the price you pay for a three-day weekend that wipes out Monday. But it is Tuesday. It's been several days since we've done the PFTPM podcast. It's great to be back with you. I was going to do one Thursday. I didn't. And then I was waiting for the inevitable bad news dump on Friday, and it never came. Now, it came over the weekend. Ben Watson manufactured his own bad news dump on Sunday afternoon at about 5 p.m. Eastern time, the perfect place to conceal his four-game PED suspension. He never called it a PED suspension, and I think Shefty, when he tweeted about it, didn't use the initials PED. And I understand that a guy doesn't want to be stigmatized for using PEDs, even though in the NFL, nobody gets stigmatized for using PEDs. I mean, Patrick Peterson uses PEDs, uses a masking agent that didn't work because his sample showed the PED and the masking agent. So the masking agent didn't even mask itself and definitely didn't mask the PED. And he doesn't get judged, criticized, ridiculed, chastised. I think most people just look at NFL players, look at how big they are, look at the kind of shape they're in, look at the pounding they take, and they shrug their shoulders and say, how in the hell do they play 16 regular season games without some sort of pharmaceutical assistance that is off the books? But still, the fact that Ben Watson just didn't come out and say, hey, folks, as I emerge from my short-lived retirement, please be advised that I won't be playing in the first four games of the season. The Patriots know it. I know it. I accept it. And off we go. The fact that he felt compelled to try to hide a spot that would minimize the awareness, the impact, etc., there's just something about that that makes me think, His story may not be completely, I don't know, credible. The idea that, well, you know, I was retired and the doctors recommended that I take this and I didn't know I was going to play football again. And then, oh, oh, by the way, when you're retired, you still have to submit a urine sample from time to time for PED because that would be the ultimate loophole. Retire every year. Retire every year and go take anything you want. Get yourself a nice coat of armor and then unretire. You're good to go. So players who who have retired still have to submit samples, and that's the reason why Watson got popped. I just don't know that he wants people scratching the surface too much of that. I don't know. Because he really didn't miss anything for a guy who retired, and hell, he, he came back a lot earlier than Brett Favre ever did when he unretired multiple times. Is it possible that Watson retired so that if he did get caught using PEDs, it would, from a PR standpoint, be more palatable? And if you are concerned about that stigma to the point where you would embellish a retirement story, would you not then provide the truth about the PED result at a time when no one's paying attention or as few people as possible are paying attention. That's just what kind of 
it just felt too contrived to me. And anytime something feels contrived, there's a pretty good chance it is contrived. Tampa Buccaneers having Dominican Sue under contract. I wrote something Saturday about the lack of due diligence that the Buccaneers engaged in when they signed Sue. Now, they have people on staff who are familiar with Sue. Clyde Christensen was on the staff in Miami during part of Sue's time there. They have an assistant strength coach who was at Nebraska when Sue was there. Todd Bowles, when he was the Jets coach, they took a look at signing Sue and the Jets have, or the Cardinals, excuse me, the Buccaneers, let me try it again, the Jets, the Cardinals, the Buccaneers. Yeah, eventually, if you go through all the teams, you'll you'll hit the right one. The Buccaneers have been keeping an eye on Sue for a while. But still, why don't you bring the guy in for a visit? Why? why what's the harm? In saying, hey, Ndamukam, before we commit $9.25 million to you for one season, we'd like to be sure that, you know, this is the right move. And maybe we'd like to see you run around on the field a little bit to make sure we're not getting a guy who's, you know, maybe not the guy he used to be. At one point in the offseason, Bruce Arians, the coach of the Buccaneers, had some fairly frank and candid comments about Gerald McCoy and his contract and you know, as these guys get older, they're making more money, and there's a point where they're making more money than what they they uh, ultimately are worth, given their advancing age. And it's a difficult truth, but it's real. Well, McCoy's a year younger than Sue, more than a year younger than Sue, about 13 months younger than Sue. How do you sign Sue sight unseen? And consider the comments from... Bruce Arians regarding Indomitian Sue. I hope I still see that look in his eye. I want to see that look in his eye when he got those penalties. I want to see him play that way, and I want everybody around him to play that way, Arians said. And look, one, one guy on the Buccaneers who is very familiar with Sue, or more accurately, very familiar with Sue's shoe is Evan Smith, the offensive lineman who was stomped upon when he was playing for the Packers during a Thanksgiving game. Remember there was a string like every year during the Thanksgiving game, Sue did something that got him scrutinized. He put his foot into the crotch of Matt Schaub. He stomped on Evan Smith. He had the thing where he stepped on the leg of Aaron Rodgers and had this lame defense when it all went to an official hearing that, that his feet were numb because it was cold at Lambeau Field that day. And Arians is encouraging that. Arians wants to see that. I want to see that look in his eye. Well, you know what? Bring him to Tampa before you assign him to see if that look is in his eye. It's just, I don't know. It's just odd to me that you don't bring the guy to town. And of course, when I tweeted that out, plenty of Buccaneers fans, oh, they have a thing called phones now. Well, yeah, no shit they have a thing called phones. But you have the opportunity to bring the guy in. This isn't Antonio Brown or Odo Beckham Jr. where you have to do the deal sight unseen because time is of the essence. You have the opportunity to bring this guy in. He's been available for over two months. No one else is clamoring for Indomitian Sue. It's not, hey, you better act now or somebody else is going to sign Indomitian Sue sight unseen while he's in France. It's like, hey, Indomitian, you're interested? Fine, we're interested as well. 
when you get back from France, come to Tampa. We'll have a conversation. We'll maybe put you out on the field. Oh, if that's okay with you. We know that there was a time where, you know, you were the highest paid defensive player in the NFL, and there was a time when you were the number two overall pick in the draft, and there was a time when you were the defensive rookie of the year, but this is $9 million. We want to be a little careful with that investment. I don't know how much of this money is guaranteed either. I've yet to see a report that any of it is guaranteed, which may justify why they 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 did the deal. If the guy looks like he's not going to deliver, you just say, see you later and Dominican Sue, and you don't owe him anything. I haven't. Maybe I'm wrong. I often am. I've seen nothing to indicate that that the Bucks are on the hook for this amount. And they didn't want Gerald McCoy at $13 million. They're going to pay Sue $9.25. Incentive package worth another $750,000. No one knows yet what those triggers are. I just... There were too many times last year when Sue didn't show up. He was there. He was present. He was playing. But he wasn't affecting the game. That loose rule of thumb that when you're watching a game on TV, are you hearing the guy's name? Are you seeing him create havoc? On a defensive line that also had Aaron Donald, how much havoc did he make? Sue ultimately played better in the postseason as he was chasing his first career NFL championship. This is a Buccaneers team that hasn't been in the postseason in more than a decade. I, I look, I, I love Bruce Arians, but what what kind of what kind of blowback is there going to be? to this idea that he wants his players to have that mindset where they're going to cross the line from time to time in the name of creating intimidation and ultimately victories. I don't think the league office is going to like that very much. Daniel Jones getting some snaps with the second team offense. (sighs) Hey, look, if Daniel Jones is the guy the Giants think that they is, he'll eventually be getting first-team snaps. He'll eventually be the starter, and eventually means by week one, because Eli Manning is not the guy he used to be, and if Daniel Jones is worthy of that sixth overall pick in the draft, we'll see him play. And the Giants are currently in that, that state of limbo where they continue to insist that Eli Manning is the starter. They also insisted that... They didn't sign Odo Beckham Jr. to trade him, so all bets are off. Pat Shermer had that unfortunate quote today. They're very calm in their approach, she said, in relation to Jones and Eli Manning. They are very fiery under the covers. Yeah. Uh, and and I my interpretation, because I had someone on social media saying, how, how dare you impute meaning? How dare you in, in, infer that... that Pat Shermer paused after saying that because he realized what he said and he had to decide whether to fix it or move on. My interpretation of his demeanor and his delivery, I think he he thought, oh, shit, I can't believe I said that. And then he decided in the moment, it'll be better to just go forward. You know, he could have laughed. He could have said, oh, man, well, boy, that, that sounds... Not that there's anything wrong with that. He could have said something funny, but that's not his way. He's very humorless. He's very intense. He's so intense that one of the more intense coaches in the NFL of the past 25 years, Mike Holmgren, has critiqued Pat Shermer as being too intense. That's how intense Pat Shermer is. 
We talked about Ndamukong Sue stepping on the wrong side of the line, figuratively and literally. Richie Incognito has been on the other side of the line more than a few times. He's now on the Raiders. Now, will he make the regular season roster? Who knows? But he'll be there for training camp. And as MDS points out on PFT Today, all the more reason to make the Raiders this year's Hard Knocks team. The Raiders don't want to be this year's Hard Knocks team. Well, too bad. They're one of the few teams that can be coerced to do it. And with each passing acquisition from Antonio Brown to Vontez Burfecht to Richie Incognito to the presence of John Gruden, it makes sense to do it. Gruden would be a trip. Gruden would be all over the place. He's already all over the place and there are cameras in his face every day. I was astounded. I saw the item about the Raiders doing an in-house game of Family Feud and Vontez Burfecht and Antonio Brown being on the same team. And John Gruden is very concerned about having these kinds of experiences that will assist the overall creation of the proper relationships going forward. He just was ranting last week and when it comes to Derek Carr and Antonio Brown that he's not in the relationship business. Well, what the hell is it? Sims and I were talking about it earlier today. He doesn't even think it's deliberate. It's just... Gruden has a habit of being all over the place, and he was all over the place on that point. Mayock on Richie Incognito. You can't have all Boy Scouts, the Raiders GM said on Tuesday. Yeah. Look, I understand that every NFL team is a combination of multiple different personalities and experiences and backgrounds and maybe you do need a rough and tumble guy from time to time but they better be ready for a lot of rough and tumble with Richie Incognito and this is another example that the Raiders are just kind of going all in here to try to reverse this narrative that the team isn't any good to try to leave Oakland with a bang and Incognito who did not play football at all in 2018 getting an opportunity 35 years old we'll see what he can do he's got to he's got to be able to to earn that roster spot both by how he performs and how he behaves but apparently you can't have all boy scouts just like bruce arians i think football teams want a little bit of that they want a little bit of that edge they can't for the most part overtly over, over, oh, over let me try that again they can't for the most part overtly seek it third time was a charm but they want it i remember when my kid was playing middle school ball eighth grade they were doing some drill and he got pissed at his buddy and got very scrappy very feisty and the coach was saying, oh, guys, oh, you can't be doing that. Well, you could see the look of satisfaction on the coach's face. They wanted to see that. They want that. They want that edge. You'd rather have someone have that edge and put you in a position where you have to find a way to contain it than to not have that edge at all. And football coaches still want that. Even in this age of enhanced sensitivity to... safety and contact and they, they they still want that edge I was disappointed to see that Canton won't have a regular season game on the 100th anniversary of the NFL I had heard some rumblings and some rumors that 
Canton was angling to have a regular season game on September 17, 2020. See, the NFL is going to get two years or maybe at least a year and some change out of this 100th anniversary of the league thing because 100th season is this year. 100th anniversary is next year, September 17, to be precise. They're going to have a multi-day celebration in Canton and they wanted to play a game, a regular season game, Thursday night game, at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. Peter King pointed out in Monday's Football Morning in America column that it's just not going to happen. And it makes sense. 25,000 versus... 65, 70,000, however big the stadium is of the team that would be giving up the home game. And the thinking is the Bears would have been the ones giving up the home game because the NFL or the Hall of Fame wanted the Bears, one of the original franchises, only two of the original franchises left. The NFL slash Hall of Fame would have wanted the Bears in that game. Makes sense that it's not happening, but still, it would have been great. Would have been special. Would have been a great thing to go to. And, you know, it's only three hours up the road, so all the more reason to go up if something like that would have happened. All right, Marcus Mariota gaining some weight. Paul Kuharski reports 12 to 13 pounds added to Marcus Mariota, presumably of muscle. He needed to have some bulk. He's a little slight. He's a little small. He gets banged up easily. He's been injured. Missed eight games in four seasons. You know, I would think he missed more, but still, half of a season in four That doesn't make you a franchise quarterback because franchise quarterbacks have to be available to the franchise more often than not. And Mariota misses too many games to get that label. When you have a playoff play-in game week 17 and you're not able to play in it and they have to go with Blaine Gabbert instead, that's not good. And now this year with Ryan Tannehill, who knows? Maybe Ryan Tannehill takes Marcus Mariota's job. 20.8, 20.9 million, something like that, owed to Marcus Mariota this year. No guarantee, no commitment beyond this season. And the Titans, I think, keeping their options open. So incumbent on Marcus Mariota to check all the boxes necessary to make the team want to pay him. Or another team. If not the Buc- if not the Titans, someone else. And it all comes down to Mariota shedding that reputation of being a guy who who does get banged up, and also becoming a more consistent performer. Consistency is the key this year. Mariota has said that, and that's true for the entire Titans organization. They need to have more consistency. There's more and more talk that Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes fans should be ready for a letdown this year. It's going to be hard to have 50 touchdown passes two years in a row. It's going to be hard to be NFL MVP caliber player two years in a row. Defenses will have had seven months to figure out how best to stop Mahomes. Sims and I were talking about this last week. The idea that you play him deep, you take away those big spectacular plays, you force him to be patient and throw the ball underneath, you make it a little more likely that he gets impatient and maybe throws a ball that he shouldn't, and you can force him into mistakes. And even then, he's going to get his yards, he's going to get his touchdowns, he's going to get his wins. Mike Clay of ESPN laid out the statistical case for regression toward the mean is likely from Mahomes this year, that he basically just can't do again what he did last year. 13.3 yards per completion, 8.8 yards per pass, 8.6% of his passes were touchdowns. 
every other quarterback who had a season in the top 15 in any of those three categories. And he was in the top 15 in NFL history in all three. Anybody who's ever been in the top 15 in any of those had a drop the next year. But Patrick Mahomes is different than any quarterback we've ever seen. And if anybody is going to reverse that, it's going to be Mahomes. And you know what? This sense of skepticism and pessimism, smart for the Chiefs to take that and use that as a way to motivate Patrick Mahomes to do everything he can to match or possibly exceed what he did last year. Ominous news today that Nick Foles is away from OTAs. Doug Marone, the coach of the Jaguars, told reporters thoughts and prayers are with Foles and his family. It's unclear why he's gone. We wish him the best. Again, people on social media, give the guy his space. Well, it's news that he's not there for personal reasons, and the coach is saying thoughts and prayers. What are you supposed to do? Just ignore it? So hopefully everything will be fine, and Foles will be back with the team as they work toward the end of the offseason program. As we get close to the end of June, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the offseason program. Usually the OTAs finish and everybody has a mandatory minicamp, and then it all ends for a month or so, and then the training camps pop open, and off we go with another NFL season. One more thing before we take some questions here today. Before I do that, though, let, let, let me... Let me repeat the warning that I have been giving out recently. It was particularly relevant before Memorial Day weekend when more and more people would be on the roads. But even now, it's the summer driving season. you got a lot of kids out driving around, having a good time with their friends. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you get into a car, you put on your seatbelt. It's that simple. No matter how short the destination, no matter how good of a mood you're in and how special of a day it is, nothing can disrupt that special summertime afternoon like a serious automobile accident, and if you're not buckled in, you could end up dead. There's no good excuse for not buckling up. If you used any of the excuses that many people use over and over again, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive or are riding in, wear your seatbelt. It's the best defense in a crash. Taking a cab, taking an Uber, taking a Lyft, get in the back seat, put on your seatbelt. You can also get ticketed, but you know what? I'd still take the ticket over over wearing the seatbelt or not wearing the seatbelt. The safety is more important to me. Yeah, and for a lot of people, you don't want to have to pay a ticket. It's embarrassing. It costs. It's costly, but the ticket shouldn't be the incentive to wear the seatbelt. Your life should be the incentive to wear the seatbelt. In fact... If they gave you a ticket for wearing a seatbelt, I'd wear the seatbelt because I'd rather face the potential fine, the stream of fines, to know that if an accident happens, I'm not going to get thrown from the vehicle. So do the smart thing, buckle up every trip, day or night, front seat or back seat, or anywhere in the vehicle, and don't ride in the back of the station wagon like they, they used to when we were kids. That was always the best place to ride. That way back... The way back of the station wagon where you could sit and you could ride and you could see the whole world just like just going behind you. It was just like you, you it, was, it was great. You had that that vantage point at the back of the car, like like being in the back of the truck. We used to ride in the back of a pickup truck. You want to talk about unsafe. 
back of a pickup truck with nothing there to restrain you. Thankfully, the world has changed in the last 45 years. Everybody of sound mind and good common sense wears a seatbelt. And if you consider yourself to be of sound mind and possessing good common sense, you should wear one as well. I don't know how much common sense went into this Tampa Bay Buccaneers effort to raid the Deepwater Horizon compensation fund. This one astounded me. The Associated Press... On Sunday, late afternoon, early evening, whenever it was, they pushed a story about the Buccaneers losing in their their appeal to the federal appellate court that has the ultimate oversight of the district court that is making decisions about who gets what under the compensation fund that was put in place by BP after Deepwater Horizon. A very simple formula for the Buccaneers and others in Tampa to secure compensation as a result of negative business impacts from the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. You got to show a 15% loss from any three-month window between May and December of 2010 because the incident happened in April. They eventually capped the well in September. If you could pull three months off of your books from 2010 and show a 15% loss or more, in comparison to those same months from 2009, and then on the other side, an increase, a rebound of at least 10% in those same three months, this compensation system that was put in place to determine who gets what from BP, you became eligible for compensation without proving that your losses had anything to do with the Deepwater Horizon event. All you had to do was show 15% downturn, 10% uptick for the same three-month window, 2009, 2010, 2011. If that chart creates that V, down 15, up 10, you get money. And the Buccaneers wanted $19.5 million. And it turns out the Buccaneers were engaged in creative accounting practices. And the court almost came out and said it. The, the court wrote the eight-page opinion. That's what they... That's they, they, What do you mean opinion? Everybody's got an opinion. What are you talking about opinion? I remember when I was in law school, it's like, what's an opinion? I have an opinion. This is boring. They, they call a ruling like that, they call it an opinion. And it's eight pages long in this case, which is fairly short as appellate p- opinions go. And, and it's very, very clear that the court believes that the Buccaneers were, were trying to get away with something here. Or more accurately, that they failed to produce enough proof to convince the court that they weren't trying to get away with something. The evidence that they submitted regarding when, and this is what it came down to, when they put on the books the gigantic payments they get from NFL Ventures. That's the vehicle for taking all that money that the league makes and divides to the teams, primarily the TV money. In 2010, that money was allocated January and then... August, September, October, November, December. Football season. What a shock. When the games are actually on TV. For 2011, the Buccaneers allocated it for May, June, July time frame, allowing that V to be created. And it was one hell of an upside on that V. It was a 500% increase from 2010 to 2011 in that three-month window. Because that's where they dropped the payments from NFL Ventures. Fairly obvious. They claimed that they were told to do that 
by the league because the lockout was going on. But they didn't do a good enough job convincing the court that that was the case. And, look, I mean, here's the thing. If you're in a situation like that, and you do have a clear incentive to cook the books, to make it look like you actually fit that pattern so you could get compensation, you have to go above and beyond to make it clear that you're not cooking the books. It it almost has to be, hey, court, you know what? This is going to look really strange, and we freely admit this. Get the, you know, here's what happened. This is how we actually recorded the figures, and we had no idea at the time that that was going to be the formula that was used to determine who gets money and who doesn't in the Tampa area. And, you know, it just kind of worked out that way. I, I know it's, I know it looks screwy, but, but here's all the paperwork to confirm that this is legitimate. Here's the financial statement that was crafted in 2011 before we knew what the formula was to get compensation. And here is a persuasive chain of evidence showing the NFL telling us to do it that way because of the lockout. See, there's a way to make that legitimate, but it's incumbent on the person who knows in that situation how suspicious it looks on the face. You'd better make it look legitimate or people are going to say, get the hell out of here. We know what you're doing, which is basically what the, the court said to the Buccaneers. And I gave the Buccaneers a chance to chime in. They said uh, our longstanding position is we don't comment on legal matters. Now, when, when there was an issue... There was an issue that, that came up when this all first came to light back in April, I think, that the Buccaneers were trying to get money from the Deepwater Horizon Fund. Their comment was they don't comment on ongoing legal matters, and now it's over, and they don't they don't comment on that either. I, 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 there's nothing they can say. I wanted to give them a chance to, to say, you know what, the courts just got it wrong. Here's what we submitted. Consider our case. I mean, truly, if, if they were indignant about this, that they, because think about it, wouldn't you be pissed if this was you? You've been painted by the court system as someone who is trying to game the compensation system and get money you don't deserve. And that money's there for people who need it. People who are actually victimized by this Deepwater Horizon tragedy. And you're trying to use that to your advantage. It, it made me think of the Seinfeld episode where the guy jumps from the roof at the hotel and goes splat on George Costanza's car and crushes the hood. Now, I, I always had a problem with that because when he took the estimate in to the hospital administrator, she got pissed at him for wanting what he should have gotten. Fair compensation. They let this guy get loose. They should have properly contained him. He goes up to the roof. I know this was all fictional, but still, it, it always bothered me. Because it's, 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 a, it's a gaping hole in logic. They let the guy get loose. They let the guy jump. And he ruined the hood, the, the roof rather, of George Costanza's car. They should have paid Costanza. And, and the hospital administrator at one point says, you attempt to greedily profit from one man's demise. No, he's not trying to profit. He's just trying to get his car fixed. The Buccaneers were trying to profit. They're the, they're the guy who was across the street who, you know, claimed that their hood got crushed when it didn't and tried to create a chain of financial information suggesting that their roof got crushed when it didn't.
So isn't it odd that everything comes back to Seinfeld one way, shape or form? Anyway, enough about that. Look, here's the thing. Nobody cares. I care. Nobody else cares. But to me, it's it's just a little glimpse. You know, situations like this give you a little glimpse into, into the character of an organization. And I'm sorry, Buccaneer, because my wife and I were talking about this last night when I figured it all out, when I read the eight page ruling and. And uh, we were getting ready to have some people over last night, and I, we were talking about it. And she's like, um, boy, why, why, boy, you're being awfully harsh. They're going to be mad at you. It's like, well, you know what? They shouldn't pull this stuff. So, sorry, sorry, I, I called what happened the way that it happened. Sorry I'm interpreting this eight-page ruling from the court system as suggesting you got caught trying to put your hand in the cookie jar. Don't do things like that, and I won't have to call you out. But it does give a little bit of a glimpse. And, you know, it's, hey, it's how big business works, unfortunately. But wouldn't you like to think that in a situation like this? Now, I, I think the justification is that, you know what, we were affected by this. Surely we were affected by this over a period of years, and it's caused a long-term impact. And, you know, this formula, God, because of the lockout, this formula really makes it harder for us to prove that that we did have that that loss followed by a rebound because there was no rebound in 2011 because of the lockout. So we kind of got screwed by the circumstances. Wouldn't it have been better to apply for some sort of a dispensation? Wouldn't it have been better to hire an expert who would have testified that here's how much they would have made if there hadn't been a lockout? Just try to create an exception instead of cooking the books to force your way to the point where you can get the 19.5 million that the Buccaneers wanted. Anyway, enough of that. Let me answer some of your questions. It just, th- things, you know, and, and it really doesn't bother me. I, I don't know. I understand why they would do it. It doesn't make it right. It's just, having, having, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. I get pissed off when people think we're too stupid to spot. And we being everyone. When you try to get away with something under the impression that you're smart enough to outsmart everyone, and it's obvious that you're not outsmarting anyone, that just bothers me. PFTPM Posse wants to give Art Martinez a big thank you from the PFTPM Posse for making sure we all got our PFT Live fix on Memorial Day. Yes, thank you, Art. Art was there for the show and also there to put the podcast up for the No Days Off edition of PFT Live. That was a long three hours because there wasn't a lot going on. And I wish I had had, had a look at that eight-page ruling. I could have spent half of the show ranting about the, the Buccaneers' effort to finagle compensation from the Deepwater Horizon Fund. PFTPM Posse, when the NFL Combine goes on the road with a medical portion, stay in Indy. I've always been told nowhere else has access to enough medical facilities with large enough MRI x-ray machines for the large players. Well, they they were talking about, because it is just a matter of time before the Combine moves from Indy. And that's a shame, but you know what? It doesn't, me thinking it's a shame. Me along with everyone else in in the media thinking that it's a mistake. Me along with everyone else who is connected to the event thinking it's a mistake will not keep it from happening because the NFL is bound and determined to make it happen. But there was talk earlier this year of the medical portion staying in Indy and everything else moving. So I think that could happen. PFTP and Posse wants to know whether I've gone fishing yet this spring. If not, why not? 
I'm sure A-Flow would love some quality bonding time with that, throwing some lures in the water and an attempt to catch some fish. My wife wanted to go hiking and fishing yesterday for part of our anniversary. Yeah, I, I, I've been... I've been wanting to go fishing, and and uh, I will soon. I mean, the problem is the best time to fish is in the morning. Monday through Friday, I'm kind of occupied, and Saturday and Sunday, I'd rather be sleeping. My wife's family has a cabin about 45 minutes away from here, and you know, th- th- if you fish at night there, you'll catch these giant prehistoric catfish, and there's also some musky in the deeper part of the of the the river that goes through there, and it's not it's not a very wide river but it's deep um by the shore you know you'll catch some bass and it's been a while since i've fished i remember there was a time and i was thinking about this yesterday my son was getting ready to start his junior year of high school and we were going down there for the day and it was just one of those days when you're just in a good mood it's one of those good days you know it's just he was engaged and you know he's he's at that age he was at that age at that time where you could go either way and you know he wanted to be with his parents that day and he was into it and we were going to fish and we bought new poles and it was a walmart like 15 minutes away from from the uh the cabin and and we, we bought poles and we bought lures and we and it was just you know you, you just have that there those days are few and far between where you consciously notice you are happier than you are on a normal day, right? I I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with me. There just aren't a lot of those days where you consciously feel at a level above how you usually do. And I'm, I'm always, not always, I can be a miserable prick at times, but I'm always in a pretty good mood. But the days where it's above and beyond without the assistance of alcohol, um, you know, those days stand out. And that was one of those days. And, and we were going to have a great day. And then as we're getting closer and closer to the cabin, we get a glimpse of the river and it's like, oh shit, the water was all muddy and high. And see where, where we lived, it, it, it hadn't been raining a lot, but apparently it had been raining there. So there was no fishing done that day. So maybe we'll have to try that again. And hopefully when we go down there, the, the water won't be all muddy and nasty and you can't fish in it. PFTPM Posse, I feel like the Jets should have done some research before firing their GM to have an idea of who would be versus wouldn't be interested to avoid these embarrassing rejections by candidates. Just another example of the franchise being horribly managed. Well, here's the thing. If you start calling around and asking people, hey, would you be interested in being the next GM of the Jets? Word's going to get out that the GM's in trouble. So sometimes you just have to rip off the Band-Aid and you move forward. And this is why I say that in this case, the best thing to do is hire somebody who is familiar with Gase, who Gase is comfortable with, put those two together and say, hey, make it work or you're out. And next time, get rid of both. Don't do these cockeyed, fire one, keep the other. Get rid of everyone and start over again like they should have done at the end of the 2018 season. And I just, I question whether Christopher Johnson really knows what he's doing. Based upon some of the stuff that's come out over the week or two since Mike McCagnan was fired, I just wonder, does he know what he's doing? Where is he getting his advice? Does he even begin to understand how this works? I've been close to this business for 18 years. He's been trying to run this team for two, pretty much on the fly. And I don't care how much money you have. And this isn't money he earned. He's part of the family that traces up to Johnson & Johnson. I don't care about how much money you've earned. I don't care about what success you've had in other lines of work. You don't know football until you're in it. And you can't just show up as the person in charge of the business and act like you know what you're doing. Because you don't. 
the best thing you can do in that position is admit what you don't know and then go learn what you don't know. PFT, PM Posse, man, you, you get a lot of questions here. Uh, what were the Memorial Day weekend plans for the Florio clan? Any good favorite Memorial Day weekend memories or stories? Well, we did the egg thing. We had Here's what happened. My wife and my brother-in-law went to the store on Saturday morning because we were going to have, we probably ended up having between 15 and 20 people at the house on Sunday night. So they went to the store Saturday morning to get steaks. And they came back with enough steaks to serve a small army. And a giant ribeye cut an inch thick that had the bone on the side. I mean, just this gigantic chunk of meat. We had 10 of those and we had 10 fillets, big fillets where you'd have to cut them in half to even eat, you know, enough that that wouldn't have you running for the bathroom 20 minutes after you finished eating. So we ended up cooking half of the steak one night and half of the steak the next night. So Sunday night was the first wave. And Monday night was the second wave. And now I still got a lot of leftover ribeye that I'm probably going to throw back on the grill tonight. I'm going to be eating leftover steak for the rest of the week. Not that there's anything wrong with leftover steak. We also had a two and a half pound tomahawk ribeye that you could hit somebody over the head with. I think that's going back on the grill tonight. That thing was a little, a little undercooked. I want to get that thing a little, a little too close to rare than medium rare in that ribeye. So we had a good time. And the egg challenge from Sunday night. That was the highlight and low light for me because I dreaded that. From the moment that Kirk Cousins called me out, I was in a perpetual state of, oh shit, until I finally did it because I was going to find a way to not do it. I was going to try to find a way to not do it, but how could I not do it? When you get called out by a guy that you relentlessly criticize, how can you ever criticize him again if you don't do the thing? So I did it and he called out Draymond Green too. I've seen no evidence that Draymond Green has done it. Come on, Draymond. So that was fun. My nephews got a kick out of being the ones who egged me. And then my other nephew came in and dumped four of them on top of my head. And then my brother-in-law dumped on a couple more. That was not, that was not pleasant. Having that, ugh, that is nasty. That stuff is nasty. And I called out Sim so he can deal with it. Now he says he's only going to do two eggs, one for each of his kids. But I, st- I still think he's probably going to throw up. I'm, I'm awaiting word that he's done it. I called out him, Rex Chapman, whose Twitter account was suspended, so he probably didn't even know about it. Blocker charge. I mean, who who else but Mr. Blocker charge for, you know, sitting in a chair and getting egged? And then Aaron Rodgers. You know Aaron Rodgers isn't going to do it. But here's the thing. If he doesn't do it, I always have that little sliver of moral high ground. For the rest of his career, he is in a box now. He can either acknowledge the challenge and do it, and I have that power over him, or he doesn't do it, and I have the fact that he didn't do it over him. I'd almost rather he not do it. Because no matter what else happens for the rest of his career and beyond, I challenged him, and the fact that I was called out by an NFC North quarterback who up until a few months ago was making more money, well, not a few months ago, last August, for a few months he was making more money than Aaron Rodgers. I'm called out by Kirk Cousins to do it. That legitimizes me for the conversation to call out Aaron Rodgers. So, Aaron, are you going to do it? I kind of hope he doesn't. And yeah, maybe that's reverse psychology to get him to do it. Or maybe that is reverse psychology to get him to not do it. We'll see. Either way, that was the most memorable part of the weekend. 
All right, PFTPM Posse has one more. Shouldn't the Buccaneers face punishment by the NFL since they attempted to defraud the federal government, which is defrauding U.S. citizens taxpayers, of of which most of the PFTPM Posse falls under? Well, they would be defrauding this Deepwater Horizon Compensation Fund. It was attempted fraud, I guess, at most, but it didn't actually succeed. The NFL is not going to do anything about this. The NFL doesn't care about white-collar crimes. They didn't do anything about what was going on with Pilot Flying J. They didn't do anything about Eli Manning and his memorabilia fraud. And at one point, the NFL said to me, one of the people working at the NFL, I hope you'll point out to your audience the difference between civil and criminal fraud. Oh, it's like, oh, I will. There is none. Fraud is fraud. The question is, how is the fraud attacked? Is it attacked through a civil lawsuit? Is it attacked through a criminal proceeding? Or is it blocked before it can become a fraud? Plenty of attempted fraud happens all the time. See, to make a fraud work, you have to have somebody sufficiently gullible to fall for the BS. The court system did not. There's no way the NFL is going to do anything about what the Buccaneers did, although they could. Black 88 Elite, where would you list Blake Bortles in your top 40 quarterback list if you had to do it? He wouldn't be in the top 40. The top 40 is 32 starters, ideally, plus 25% of the backups. And I don't put Bortles in the top 25% of all backups. I just don't. Andrew 1MT, does the NFL have the Sunday ticket opt-out before or after this season? Could Disney try to acquire them through ESPN Plus? It's after this season, and Disney has made it clear, most recently in an earnings call, quarterly earnings call with shareholders, that they are in on the possibility of Sunday ticket. I think what they should do is sell the satellite rights to DirecTV, leave them there where they've always been, and then take the streaming rights, which DirecTV doesn't really fully maximize, and sell those to someone else. And I think that's what they'll do. At the real Forno, are you surprised by the email sent by the Players Association warning of a lockout? Well, it, it's not a lockout. It could be a work stoppage. It could be a strike, too. See, I don't think the league is going to lock the players out. The league is happy with the current deal. And I actually think the story that emerged today in the New York Times indicating that everything has been cordial and peaceful so far and that there's an expectation they're going to get a deal done, that could do more harm than good because now both sides are going to feel like they have to be assholes or they're getting taken advantage of. Negotiations should have a certain amount of heat, a certain amount of animosity, healthy animosity. Not stuff that does damage to the relationship, but... You know, if 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 you're negotiating with someone and the other side is just all too happy about how this is going and they're more than happy to give you what they what you want, that that are you really getting a good deal? When I used to practice law, one of my biggest fears well, it was the, it was the Kramer settlement. The first offer we'll take it. You never take the first offer. And you never put your last offer on the table happily. If you're putting your last offer on the table happily, you've done a bad job negotiating. You know, we bought this house five years ago. You always can tell from the first two moves, the offer, well, whatever somebody wants for their house, plus whatever that first offer is, if the negotiations continue beyond the first offer made by the buyer, everybody knows where the bottom line is. It frames out the bottom line. Right? If if somebody wants five hundred thousand for their house and somebody offers four fifty, you know the bottom line's four seventy five. So if the conversations continue after four fifty is put on the table, both sides need to understand that it's heading toward four seventy five. It's just how it works. There's a loose etiquette 
to all of this. So, if you know when, like, like when you know when 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 I first got the number, I probably well, it's been five years. It's not like I can do anything about it now. I had myself braced for such a much higher number than what the guy articulated. When I heard the first number, I said to my wife, "We're buying a house today," and she's like, "What are you talking about?" It's like, "Well, I would take the guy's opener, and I'm not going to. I can still squeeze him." That's the thing. Even if you like, even if you would pay or accept as payment, whatever that opener is, you can still do better. You can always do better. So we did better and we got a deal done. Now, look, for all I know, the the, the guy was prepared to take a hell of a lot less than I paid, but that's fine because I was prepared to pay a hell of a lot more than I did. So you take, you know, that transaction and you magnify it by about a hundred thousand times and you get to this cba negotiation where you're talking about billions of dollars every year changing hands it all can't be too peaceful it can't be too easy it has to have some some fire and some fury to it so i'm not surprised that demora smith the nflpa executive director sent out an email to all agents saying make sure your guys are saving their money make sure they're ready to miss a full year I, I don't think the players can muster the will to strike, but I also don't think that the owners will lock them out. That's the ultimate boss move if the owners lock them out because the owners are happy with this deal. They're happy with it. They complained relentlessly about the 2006 deal, and at the first option to opt out of that deal, they did, setting the clock in motion for the 2011 lockout. They, they would not opt out of this deal. They would keep this deal indefinitely. This deal is working for both sides is what the NFL would say, which means it's really working for us, and we would very much like you to think it's working for you. I'm, I'm fascinated by this dance as it relates to the two major factors. One, it is trying to get a deal done so then the NFL and the NFLPA can flip that into a mega TV deal for the contracts that expire after the 2022 season. And also, this factor that was mentioned in the New York Times article, but it wasn't really elaborated on, the union's desire, union leadership's desire to get a deal done while Eric Winston is still the NFLPA president. There's a concern on both sides that depending upon who the next NFLPA president is, this thing could go sideways because you could have a new president that decides we are going to fight. We are going to make this a big deal. We are going to threaten a work stoppage, and maybe we'll try to finagle a work stoppage. We want more. And look, there's nothing wrong with that to a certain extent, but you have to do it smartly. You can't want things that you aren't going to get. You can't blow the thing up. You still have to ultimately do a deal. But there's a way to do a deal that ultimately feels like the right deal, but there's still some pain along the way. And there's not enough pain yet. There's going to be pain. Or at least the appearance of pain. Otherwise, somebody's doing a bad deal. All right. Here's a here's a question. Dean Osborne, 42, if you could change the name of the NFL's title game from Super Bowl to something else, what would you change it to? Why change it? It's perfect. It's perfect. 
Lamar Hunt's suggestion based upon the Super Bowl, and I had one of those damn things. You bounce it hard enough off the ground, it bounces off the ceiling, bounces off the ground, bounces off the ceiling, ricochets all around. Super Bowl became Super Bowl. I think it's great. Mr. Nelly B, I feel like Tom Coughlin is responsible for a lot of the Jaguars' current woes, drafting Leonard Fournette at number four instead of Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, fostering a get-off-my-lawn atmosphere that turns off some players. How much of last year's struggles do you put on him? Well, I look, whatever they did in 2017 worked. They got to the Final Four. It was validation of the methods. The problem is last year, I think they all got complacent. I think organizationally, they just thought... We just, you know, check boxes and we're going to be right back where we were. I think after they beat the Patriots week two and went to 2-0, and they just decided let's fast forward to January and play for a right to get to the Super Bowl. And they, they lost their magic. They lost their edge. They lost their desire week in and week out. And they got the crap pick kicked out of them enough times that it just all fell apart. At Bored to Death, what era of Vikings football do you remember being the worst? Despite never winning any Super Bowls, they always seem to be in the playoffs at least once every three years. Well, you know, the best era was the 70s when they were in the Super Bowl four times. The worst was probably 1984, the Les Steckel season. The year they should have hired Pete Carroll to be the head coach after Bud Grant retired the first time. They went with Les Steckel, who had a boot camp mentality, and they went 3-13. and That was the first time they were ever, in my recollection, an experience, not a contending team. And, you know, since then, that was the beginning of an era where this isn't a team that is consistently in contention, but will find their way to the playoffs once every two or three years. And in, you know, there'll be one year out of five where they're just done. Then there'll be four out of five where they're kind of alive going into December. And then maybe one or two out of five, they scratch and claw their way to the playoffs. And maybe one out of 15 or 20, they have a team that you're like, hey, man, they're really good this year. 98, 2009, 2017, the three times they were really good. So 84 was the year that stands out as like, oh, shit, this team just is really bad this year. All right, I got to wrap this up. Already an hour. Flies by, man. Dean Osborne, 42, your favorite all-time NFL game and why? My favorite NFL game. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, you know, and it's it's out there now. It's in the public eye. I grew up as a Vikings fan. The game that I enjoyed watching the most was the 1987 divisional playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers because that was a week after the Vikings stunned the Saints. That was the strike year where the Vikings had to back into the playoffs. They lost to Washington the final week of the season. The Cardinals had to lose the Cowboys the next day. It was the Cardinals' last game as the St. Louis Cardinals. They lost, creating the playoff spot for the Vikings. They had to go play the Saints, who were 12-3 and that year. And it was 7 nothing early. There was a fumble early on. The Saints scored. It's seven nothing. It's like, oh well, that was fun while it lasted. Next thing you know, it's like thirty-eight to ten at halftime. The Vikings just exploded, and diminutive, skinny-ass Anthony Carter. That guy was all legs, five foot ten and all legs, and just he had no torso. It was like his legs went up to the top of his shoulder, the bottom of his shoulder pads. He was incredible, and. Uh, both that game and the next game, but that 49ers game, I remember spending that whole week thinking, no, you got no chance against the 49ers. 
and somehow they beat the 49ers. And I started watching that game on YouTube. It's on YouTube. I didn't get very far into it because I had to, I, you know, I always like will have TV on while I'm working, but I, I can work. I don't stop what I'm doing and focus on the TV. I'm productive this way. I'm going to have to block out two and a half hours to just watch that game. I watched the first Vikings drive, not even the end of the first Vikings drive. I just had to stop. I had to force myself to stop. The hits in that era, oh my God, there's a play where Anthony Carter is in the process of getting tackled and a 49ers player comes in to clean it up and pops him hard helmet to helmet and Carter just gets up and shakes it off. Amazing. Just amazing. But that that was that was a great game. And then the second half, I remember when they put Steve Young in and the 49ers were kind of making it a little bit interesting. I got real nervous that it was going to end up being one of the great collapses of all time. But the Vikings held on and won. Of course, they lost the next week to Washington in the NFC Championship game. But that probably, that was my favorite game to experience. I, I vividly remember that day, the build-up to that day, enjoying that game. And then riding that high for the next week. All right, what else do we have? At the Real Forno, how long did it take to wash the egg out of your hair? Most of it came straight off. It slid kind of straight off and was down on the ground. And my nephew got a hose and they they cleaned up the shells. And it was right over a drain. There's a drain on the patio. So we, we strategically picked that spot to ease the cleanup. But we have a we have a bathroom that, the door's outside. Um, to, it goes along with, like anybody that's using the pool. And there's a shower in there. So I just went straight in that bathroom and uh, got in the shower, um, picked all the shells out, flushed the shells down the toilet, and then just just got to work. Scrub, scrub, scrub. And I thought I'd keep finding like little bits of shell where little bits of shell shouldn't be, but it ended up working out okay. And then I went back in there last night, make sure the bathroom down there was clean. Because we got somebody who comes once a week to clean. One week they clean the upstairs, one week she cleans the downstairs. And of course you have to clean before they come to clean. So I had to go in and clean before she comes to clean. And I made sure that it was, it was, it was, it was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Now I will say this, I washed and dried the clothes I was wearing and I have yet to smell them. They may need to be washed and dried again. We'll, we'll find out. Manual Focus One, when during PFT Live, Mike said it was hard to scrounge enough questions from yesterday to make a show, but he didn't answer your question. GIF of Michael Scott, all I can do right now is put on a brave face. I'm sorry I didn't answer your question. I don't know, 40, how did the stakes come out? Extremely well. Andrew, yay, wouldn't a draft lottery be more exciting because it would increase the likelihood of teams not needing quarterbacks being at the top of the draft and may result in more trades? Yes, another reason to do it. Yes, they just don't want to legitimize the tanking dynamic. That's the only reason that I believe... Um, would uh, would justify not entertaining the possibility of what would become a huge off-season tentpole activity. Dr. J144, do you remember any rumors during Kellen Winslow II's playing career that he was a bad guy? People like Matt Light didn't seem surprised by Aaron Hernandez. Did Browner... Browner? Who's Browner? Oh, Brandon Browner, Darren Sharper, or Kellen Winslow really surprised people in the know in the NFL. I will tell you this. There were always stories about... Kellen Winslow being uh, oversexed. Um, so, and and he was arrested. Wasn't he like, you know, uh, self-serving himself in the parking lot of a Boston market? Didn't that happen? But th- those those stories were always uh, 
floating around and uh, far, far tamer than the allegations he's currently facing in court. Black 88 Elite, what was your selection process in picking who should do the egg challenge? I, I, well, I knew I had to do Sims because I know how much Sims hates eggs. Cooked eggs, raw eggs, any eggs. He hates eggs. He calls eggs chicken, period. <laughs> and, and I guess, I mean, I guess it is. I never really thought of it that way. I still eat eggs, but I knew he'd be incredibly grossed out. And he's a germaphobe anyway because he's spleenless. So, uh, so I, I, uh, I decided to, to go with him. I thought Rex Chapman would be funny. And I, I thought it would, it would just, it would piss Aaron Rodgers off to put him on the list. So... I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. I considered some others, but uh, I decided to go with that. And two days later, no one has uh, has complied. I don't know what the deadline is. I took three days. I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but uh, they're still on the clock. All right. Um, I, I, I got to wrap this up. I see some other good questions here. Do this, please. If you have a question that was not answered, do it. Pose it again tomorrow. There's some good ones here. I just don't want to. I don't want to drag this out any longer. An hour is long enough for a late May PFTPM podcast. I will do one tomorrow. Now Thursday, Friday. I don't know. One of those two days, probably yes. Definitely tomorrow. So thank you for listening to the Tuesday edition of the PFTPM podcast. We'll have a Wednesday PFTPM. We'll have a Wednesday PFT live. We have a a good idea for the draft. And and just so you're thinking about it in advance if you made it this far. You know, I don't like the fact that Bill Buckner dies and the first story is the mistake that he made in the 1986 World Series and that ridiculous tweet from Darren Rovell. I mean, that, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. But, but, he is known for that one thing. Even though he also should be known for plenty of other things, Buckner is known for that. So we're going to do a draft tomorrow of... NFL guys who you associate with one thing, where there's that one thing that comes to mind, good or bad, that guy, that that there's that one moment that defines his career, whether he likes it or not, even though I don't believe that Bill Buckner should be defined by that one moment in the 1986 World Series. I, I, I Setting him aside, fair or unfair, defining moments for people who we otherwise don't associate with anything else they accomplished in the National Football League. We'll have that tomorrow on PFT Live. We'll continue the Chris Sims quarterback rankings, 37 and 30, wait, 38 and 37, as we work our way up to number one. That's the thing about working it from the bottom to the top. It just gets very confusing. It's like counting backwards when you have... uh, uh, when they put you under the gas. Have you ever had you ever had surgery and they tell you to count backwards? I had my tonsils out when I was, I don't know, between five and seven. And they put that big mask on my face and they said, count backward from 100. I remember getting to 98. So uh, anyway, um, 40, 39, we'll do 38, 37 tomorrow. Around the clock coverage at profootballtalk.com. It's amazing how much is still going on even though people call this the slow time. I got in trouble for calling it the slow time. They had a mashup of all the times in PFT Live. I called it the slow time. So during PFT Live, I can't call it the slow time. But during PFT PM, I can do whatever the hell I want. We'll do it again tomorrow, everybody. Have a great day. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.